May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So welcome to Christ the King or the Reign of Christ Sunday. Uh, Here's a fun fact. I think it's the same fun fact I trot out every year. Uh, The Sunday dates back to 1925 when Pope Pius XI created it in an encyclical letter that was written in response to what was happening in Europe and the world in the aftermath of World War I. And it fit in with his papal motto, the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. So Europe, before World War I, was mostly empires, the British Empire, the French Empire, the German Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Russian Empire, and the Ottoman Empire. And then there were uh, a number of monarchies around that as well. And nearly all of those empires were not democratic. They were ruled by the emperor. Uh, the one exception was the French Empire, which was a secular democracy. And one of the things that happened at the end of the First World War was most of those empires were swept away. The German Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the Russian Empire and the Ottoman Empire, and in their place was left behind lots of new nation states. One of the things that France had been doing for about at least 100 years before uh, the First World War was kind of sowing the idea of nationalism and secularism, particularly in, uh, in in the areas controlled by the Ottoman Empire. They had a kind of end game along with the Russians and the British, to um, destroy the Ottoman Empire and to carve it up between themselves. They'd already worked out how they were going to do that. Um, But that idea of nationalism and secularism spread at the end of the First World War, and what was left was a whole lot of little nation states. And in those nation states, it was increasingly seen that a person's first loyalty was to that nation state, not to Christ, not to the church. And so the Pope was increasingly concerned about how Europe and then because Europe, through its empires, controlled much of the world, um, many places in the world was being fractured by national borders and national interests and secularism. And so he he installed this state, this uh, Sunday, to remind Catholics that their first loyalty was to Christ through the church and not to Caesar, not to their nation states. Uh, As an aside, Pius XI was the first pope to recognise democracy as a legitimate form of government in his encyclical in 1933, so eight years later. Uh, Up to that point, the papacy had been officially pro-monarchy as the only real God-ordained form of government and very anti-democratic, which they could not get their heads around. God could not work through the masses Uh, And they encourage Catholics to not vote. And uh, the book I read about um, uh, uh, about Germany in the Second World War and um, the famous theologian whose name I can see, but I can't remember his name, uh, he uh, it said that one of the reasons the Nazis won as much of the vote they did in uh, in the 1930s was because a big chunk of the voters, the Catholics, had not voted. So, um, yeah, it had repercussions around Europe. So in 1933, Pius agreed that democracy was okay. And 
So in light of that, I do have to wonder if his pro-monarchy position uh, says something about how he understood this Sunday as well. Well, so let's explore what Christ the King might be about. And to help us do that, uh, we've been given this passage from John, which I think is a really interesting choice. Um, and it's a really interesting reading. I mean, here we are kind of getting ready for Advent and getting ready for Christmas. And we have a story from the trial of Jesus, uh, which is kind of we're jumping around the story a bit. And it does, you know, it causes a little uh, temporal confusion with the, the story of Jesus. And it's interesting because John's Jesus wasn't big on kingdom language. It only gets used three times in John's gospel, once uh, in a conversation with Nicodemus, once when some people tried to uh, make Jesus a king and he leaves them, and then now. So even choosing John's gospel is an interesting choice. It is not, this king language is not language that fits easily with John's depiction of Jesus. Today's little snippet comes from the middle part of Jesus' trial, the attempted interrogation by Pilate. So just to note, the purpose of this exchange from Pilate's point of view was not to ascertain guilt. Guilt was assumed. Pilate here simply wants to work out what crime Jesus is going to be executed for. The end point is already known. It's just, well, we're going to execute you. It would be good to know why we're going to execute you. The second thing to note about this is that Pilate's use of the language is deeply sarcastic. He is ridiculing Jesus and all that Jesus is on about. He, Pilate, represents the true king, Tiberius, whose titles include Prince of Peace, Son of God, High Priest. He is the Emperor of Rome. And, in compared, and compared to that, Jesus is just a hillbilly. But he's not only ridiculing Jesus, he's ridiculing the Jewish people themselves. This is a Passover. John's very clear about that. And in Passover, uh, Passover is about, is the feast that remembers God's rule over all creation. It remembers that God is the true king. And at Passover, and it also celebrates the liberation of the Hebrew people from slavery by this God who is ruler over all creation. And so at Passover, Pilate engineers the conversation so that the Jewish leaders end up saying, we have no king but Caesar. So just think of the theological implications of that. And then he mockingly nails a sign above Jesus' head uh, as he's crucified saying, King of the Jews, for all who go past to see at Passover. Well, Pilate, the true king in the story, is Tiberius, Caesar. And Caesar, well, he is the kind of king who imposes his, <coughs> excuse me, imposes his will with military might, with suffocating taxation, and brutally punishing all who stand in his way. And this kingship was built on the assumption that all things Roman, society, culture, values, and religion were vastly superior to everyone else's. It's not um, kind of 
uncommon. All empires operate on that way. The British Empire operated on that way. The French Empire operated on that way. The American Empire operates on that way at the moment. But the thing to note about all of those things is that none of this applies to Jesus. So in this reading on Christ the King Sunday, we are offered two contrasting visions of what kingship is about. On the one hand, Caesar, and on the other hand, Jesus. Now, this is a very interesting conversation because, well, Pilate thinks he's the one in control because he represents the Caesar. But right at the beginning of it, he asks Jesus a question, and Jesus immediately responds with, well, as he does on so many other occasions, his own question. And the minute that Pilate answers that question, well, he loses control of the exchange. And that would not have been something that Pilate would have been used to. He was the one who controlled these kinds of conversations. And suddenly, Jesus is dictating the terms. And then after Pilate sort of responds to uh, Jesus' question, Jesus himself goes back to that first question, and he also offers a sort of response. And it's a well-known response. My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. We're probably uh, more commonly used, um, uh, used to the translation, my kingdom is not from this world. Just, um, just to go back a little bit before I do that, um, one of the reasons I use the uh, Common English Bible is because uh, in most of the other translations, it says my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jews. But there are a whole lot of scholars that say the word that, that is commonly translated as Jews is much better translated as Jewish leaders, and that one of the problems with, uh, with the Jew uh, translation is it kind of smudges the huge differences between Judean and Galilean and the Jewish, um, the Judean leadership and even the rest of the people of Judea. So that's the first problem with it. And the second problem is that uh, it's led to a whole lot of anti-Semitism. So, um, so the translators of the Common English Bible have translated that more accurately as Jewish leaders. That's just another aside. Fun fact, we might say, my kingdom is not from this world. That is a very important phrase for a lot of people, and it has led many people to believe that the reign of Christ has nothing to do with this world. They would say that the reign of Christ is in heaven, not in this place, nor in this time. And so they would say that we as followers of Christ the King need not care about what happens in this world. We don't have to worry about issues like hunger and poverty and war and injustice, about homelessness or climate change or biodiversity loss, none of those issues, because none of those issues are our concern. They are the concern of the, of the leaders of this world. We are told as followers of Christ that our role is simply to get ready for life after death. And I have been told that in other places by faithful followers of Christ, that our role is simply to get ready for life after death in heaven where Christ reigns. 
And if you've been listening to me for the nearly the last nearly 10 years, you will have noted that I have some problems with that. This year, we've seen a number of so-called Christians claiming Christ as their true king as they oppose vaccines and vaccine mandates and masking and social distancing and all the public health things that are designed to help keep us safe. This week, I and a number of other Anglican clergy received an email that that asked us, whom does the church idolise, God or government? I don't idolise the government. And then we were told that the author is extremely disappointed churches would get involved with political agendas and that it seems the church has made a choice to follow the rules of tyranny and strayed from biblical truth and God's voice. There's no apostrophe in God, so it's plural gods. It's just me being picky and a little petty. The idea of Christ the King for these people is we should not listen to the government and we should just pretend that COVID doesn't exist and carry on as normal because God will protect us because Christ is King. The idea that Christ is King is not as straightforward as some might think. This kingship stuff is pretty tricky. So if Christ is King, what does the kingdom of Christ look like? What kind of king is Jesus? Well, I like how the message paraphrases this passage. And in the message, uh, Eugene Patterson says, my kingdom, said Jesus, does not consist of what you see around you. If it did, my followers would fight so that I would be handed over to the Jews. Note to previous comments, but I'm not that kind of king. Jesus was not the world's kind of king. The Gospels are united in saying that in Jesus we meet God and we come to know what the reign of God looks like in Jesus. The trouble is it's our natural inclination to keep on applying what we see around us and to think that's how God should operate. We saw that in the book of Job. People looked around and said, well, this is how the world works. That's how God works. And God went, no. And we see it all the time through the last 2,000 years of church history, particularly since the time of Constantine. And so (coughs) in Christian art, we have these interesting depictions of Christ. So here is Christ, the Roman emperor. Or this Russian icon, Christ the Tsar. Essentially what people are saying as they paint these is, as we look around and see how the world works and how kings work, this is how we understand what the kingship of Christ is like. And so that then leads to, well, if Christ is king, then surely monarchs are the best way of going forward and democracy doesn't really have a place for Christians. And the king becomes the representative of Christ. So when we look towards the monarch, that is what Christ looks like. That's what all these pictures are saying. Christ the king keeps being confused with Caesar and, well, and keeps being depicted as Caesar or a more modern Caesar, a czar or a kaiser or an emperor. Well, what kind of king does Jesus suggests that he might be. 
Well, in the passage we heard, Jesus goes on to say, you say that I am a king. I was born and came into the world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. Truth in John's gospel is listening to Jesus' voice. Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. Jesus is the truth. We see the truth when we see Jesus at work in the world. And we see Jesus at work in the world when we hear Jesus' voice. The hearing of Jesus' voice is absolutely central to John's gospel. Lazarus hears Jesus' voice and is raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene hears Jesus' voice and recognizes the resurrected Jesus. Throughout the Gospel of John, people hear Jesus' voice, Jesus the Good Shepherd, and they follow. When we hear Jesus' voice and join Jesus in Jesus' way of life, then we live the truth. Then we are living in the kingship of God. So this is all about relationship. So Jesus' kingship then is found in what we might see around Jesus, namely in the way that he lived and the way he treated people, like in his washing of the disciples' feet, like when he honoured and blessed the sinners, the tax collectors, and all those who were not, he was not supposed to honour and bless, like when he cared for the outcast and the vulnerable. The reign of Christ is when that is being lived out in the here and now. So I wonder who Christ the King is for us in our current COVID-shaped world. So I want to finish by reading a small piece of an article that appeared in Stuff this week. It uh, was written by a friend of ours called Liz Fitzmorris, um, mostly a friend of um, Bonnie's. They've known each other since uh, Intermediate. And uh, she is a woman of great faith. She's been a GP for over 30 years, and she's taught in medical schools, preparing the next generation of GPs in New Zealand and in Australia. And this week, she finished being a GP because she has cancer and is immune compromised. And so she uh, put up a reflection on that finishing on Facebook and stuff, uh, picked that up and published it in the Stuff Nation part of their website. And as I read this, I honestly felt like I was seeing the right reign of Christ at work. So I want to finish by reading some of what she wrote. I love that I live in a country that has public health policies which resonate with my own Christian values of love for neighbours and kindness to others, especially those who have no voice to self-advocate I love that I live in a country that is mandating so that in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, vulnerable people in our community have the same freedom to go out to public gatherings or events as privileged people with strong immunity. By mandating, we use the best prevention presently available, vaccination we are most likely to pick up COVID from an unvaccinated person. In my immune compromised state, I don't feel safe sitting next to them once COVID is endemic. It seems some people want me to stay home so that they, 
the privileged healthy can attend those events on their terms. I love that our children and grandchildren will be as safe as possible when they are in the care of others at school. It seems the unvaccinated teachers who have chosen to walk away do not share this priority. And I'm also grateful that when I'm in hospital as a patient, I will be cared for by a vaccinated healthcare team in order to keep me and we could say other vulnerable people as safe as possible. We can't wish COVID away. It's here and it's removing some choices for most of us. It is unraveling our false sense of control of our circumstances. Many in our community are now sensing the fear that can accompany that new loss of control. I love that I can share the unshakable hope I have in these uncertain times and gift that hope to others. My own cancer journey invited me to face the uncertainty of the future long before COVID came along. For me, COVID may well cut short my career, but it cannot rob me of my sense of purpose which gets me out of bed each morning. Perhaps it is time to ponder that COVID affords us new opportunities to love our neighbours or shows up our need for our neighbours' love. If we get this right, Aotearoa can be a more cohesive community at the end of this pandemic than now. If we miss this opportunity, then COVID wins. We become a transparently divided community of privileged versus vulnerable and vaccinated versus unvaccinated. I'm all for milking the season for all it's worth and acknowledging the loss of choices COVID brings in its wake. But let's maximise the new set of choices and opportunities that COVID affords. So in light of all of that, I wonder... What does the reign of Christ look like for us in our COVID-shaped world? What future do we imagine in Christ? And what values shape that future? So let's just pause for a moment and reflect on those questions. <clears throat> 